Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Give me your attention. I want to read you something. A young musician once went to see his old music teacher. And during the visit, his elderly mentor took a tuning fork and he struck it on the end of the table. And he said, that's an A. Well, from the floor above them, they could hear the voice of a singer rehearsing. She sings sharp, the old teacher said with a smile. He struck the tuning fork again and paused as he lifted it and he said, she is sharp, but this is A. Always has been, always will be. 440 vibrations per second. And it will still be A 5,000 years from now. When all other claims to the truth have had their say, the word of God will stand alone in the end. Everything else changes. Philosophies come and go. But God's word remains the abiding truth. This is God's word. It was God's word yesterday. It is God's word today. It will be God's word 5,000 years from now. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Ideas will come and go. The values of the world will change. But God's word will remain the one constant in a world of change and confusion. Amen? God's word is our only constant. The only. You mean only, Rodney? Yeah, only. People will change. Your husband will change. Your wife will change. Your children prayerfully will change. (laughs) Say amen, parents. But God's word is constant. It never changes. And we've been in God's word. In the book of Revelation, this is one powerful, poetic, and practical book that has always been and always will be God's word. Word. I say this about pretty much every book that I teach, but this particular book, I say this all the time, I'll just say it again. This book is incredibly powerful. It has changed my life, impacted my life in ways that others haven't. It's incredible. Now, there's many people who will tell you that the book of Revelation is difficult to understand, and we've all heard that. Many people say, well, it's just too difficult to understand. Don't teach it. I was talking to a family. I told you last week, a, a week ago, and she, I mentioned to the family that we were teaching the book of Revelation. And she said, oh, well, a lot of churches wouldn't dare to teach the book of Revelation. A lot of pastors wouldn't dare to teach the book of Revelation. It's too difficult, they say, to understand. Listen, the book of Revelation is not difficult at all to understand. 
As a matter of fact, if you would just get a hold of this one verse, it's found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. I like to call it a simple summary statement of the entire book of Revelation. It's a divine outline. It's found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this one verse, understand, outlines the entire book. If you don't have this verse marked in your Bibles, you should do so now. Very key verse. Revelation 119, write the things John is told which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place metatauta after this. This is a three-section outline that outlines the whole book. The first section, John is told to write the things which he has seen. What has he seen? Chapter 1, the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. John saw Jesus in his glorified state, and he described him there in chapter 1, the first section. The second section, John is told to write the things which are the church. The church. There's seven epics of church history in chronological order, beginning with the church at Ephesus and ending with the church of Laodicea. Write the things which are. And then John is told to write the things which will take place. Metatauta is the Greek word, M-E-T-A-T-A-U-T-A. Metatauta, that's the Greek word after this. After what? After the church age. John in chapter 4, he's caught up in heaven. He's, he's, he's been raptured. He's in heaven. Chapter 5, Jesus stands up and takes the title deed to the planet Earth, which brings us to chapter 6, the great and awful day of time of Jacob's trouble called the Great Tribulation, beginning in chapter 6 through chapter 19. And it's a terrible time on the earth. That's where we've been over the last several weeks. For many weeks, we've been in this third and the final section. So far, as I said, the church is in heaven on a seven-year honeymoon with the Lord. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, chapter six, the tribulation begins. God is using trumpets to announce judgment on the earth. And there are various cataclysmic events happening on the earth in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, literally all hell breaks loose as a horde of demons were set free from the abuso, from the bottomless pit. And these are some scary dudes. They're scary. Unbelievable. They sting like scorpions, and their sting was so painful, the Bible says that people will want to die, and death takes a vacation. Isn't that incredible? For five whole months, these demons, these angelic, evil, demonic beings will be stinging people on the earth, and it will be so painful that they will want to die, and death will be on a holiday. For five months. 
And then John saw a 200 million man army that he tried to describe. Horses in body, heads like lions, tails that are like snakes. And these demons, they have one single purpose, death, destruction, and mayhem. And the amazing thing about it, you guys, look at chapter 9. Look at chapter 9 with me and look at verse 20. This is the most amazing verse I have ever read in all of the Bible. Notice in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. But the rest of mankind, after all I just talked about, explain it all to you, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of their works. Is that not the most amazing verse you have ever read or heard? Even after all of this judgment has come upon the earth, man's hearts are so hard. They are so committed to their idolatry. They are so committed to their evil practices that they still don't repent. Chapter 9 is dark and dismal. Now you might say to me, Rodney, I know, man. The last two weeks, your, your sermons have been depressing. A- and they have. They've been depressing. They've been heavy. And I'm sure they were heavy for John. Remember, John is the one getting the revelation. John is the one receiving this message from the Lord. So they were heavy to us, and most certainly they are heavy to John also. But here in chapter 10, we actually get a rest. Chapter 10, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Chapter 10 is a divine intermission or a parenthetical portion of Scripture. Chapter 10, listen, very important. Chapter 10 fast-forwards us to the end of the tribulation. Chapter 10 moves us to that time when Jesus will come in the second coming and take control of what rightfully belongs to him. What's that? The planet Earth. So chapter 10 is an intermission. It's kind of, you got one through chapter 9, you've got the judgments of God. And then chapter 10, actually you could move chapter 10 to the end of the book where we see Jesus coming in the second coming. So you kind of have to fast forward. So we've dealt with the first six trumpets. We won't deal with the seventh trumpet until chapter 11, verse 15. Meanwhile, we deal with chapter 10. Chapter 10 is inserted. Now, this morning, uh, this afternoon, here's an outline for you. You know I like outlines because I think they just make it simple. Here's an outline for you of chapter 10. We're going to look at it this morning and work through this chapter with this outline. In verses 1 through 3, you will find the appearance of the angel. The appearance of the angel. And then notice in verse 4 through 7, we'll see the announcement from the angel. The appearance of the angel in verses 1 through 3, the announcement from the angel in verses 4 through 7, and then the appropriation of the book. The book. We'll find out what that book is in verses 8 through 11. So the appearance of the angel, the announcement from the angel, and the appropriation of the book found in verses 8 through 11. Let's read. What I'm going to do is read the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and kind of tuck things into its outline. Revelation chapter 10, 
Beginning in verse 1, if you are there, say a hearty amen. Amen. And I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, stop. Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Well, then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hands to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days in verse seven of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and I said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Nothing like reading a whole chapter of something you completely do not understand. (laughs) Isn't that true? It's like, what in the world is that? I felt the same way, actually, when I first looked at it. I felt the same way. The appearance, first of all, of the angel, the appearance of the angel. Notice John sees another strong angel in verse one coming down out of heaven. Who is this angel? Who is this angel? It's very interesting to me that who the angel is, scholars are pretty much evenly divided. Now, that's kind of unusual because there are many difficult things, if you will, in the scriptures that you need to dissect, that you need to look at, and the scholars will be divided on as to what it means. And just in my years of teaching, in my years of study, I have dealt with various Topics, and you'd find that scholars are pretty much leaning toward this, or scholars are pretty much leaning toward that way. But on this issue of who the angel is, it's interesting that scholars are divided pretty much evenly. You take 15 commentaries and you will find seven of them believe that this angel is a reference to none other than Jesus Christ. And then you take another eight of the scholars and they believe that this is a reference to an angel, either Michael or Gabriel or some unnamed angel. I honestly haven't made up my mind who this angel is. 
But what I thought I'd do this morning and ask you to be patient as I present to you both sides. Since they're so equally divided, why don't we just kind of look at both sides and then you can decide. Let me try to convince you, first of all, that this angel is Jesus Christ for many reasons. And again, let me just go on record to say that these are many good scholars. This is not poor work or poor uh, uh, understanding or poor exegesis of the scriptures from any of these guys. I mean, all of them are good and both sides have very good biblical place to understand the angel to be who they believe the angel to be. First of all, those who believe that this angel is Jesus Christ, good reason, number one, look in your Bibles, verse one, he is an angel. He's an angel. Now, in the Greek language, if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel for any amount of time, you know that this word angel is the Greek word angelos, which simply means one who is sent with a message. Now, when we think of angels, we think of little babies in diapers on clouds and strumming harps and singing as they're floating through the heavenly scene. Or we think of some other type of angel. Well, the word angel just simply means one who is sent with a message. And it could be that Jesus is this angel. We know from the Old Testament, a Christophany. That's your word for today. It just simply means an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. We see many appearances of the angel of the Lord, an appearance of Christ, In the Old Testament. So it's very well possible that it could be that this is Jesus because he's identified as an angel. Secondly, notice he is clothed with a cloud. The Bible often refers to Jesus as surrounded by a cloud. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way. Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. Psalms, if you're taking notes, you know I encourage you to do so. Psalms 97 verse 2, it says clouds and thick darkness surround him. Every time the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, he was surrounded by a cloud. And many of the prophets prophesied of the day of the Lord as being a day of clouds. Interesting. Clouds seem to be the Lord's calling card. Well, not only that, but notice the rainbow was upon his head. You see that in verse one. Now, we talked about it in some time past. If you weren't here, pick up the tape. Revelation chapter one. And then we referenced Ezekiel chapter one, who saw the same thing John saw. Ezekiel saw the Lord. And he said there was a radiance around him. Revelation chapter four, we saw a rainbow around the throne of God. And remember that rainbow, it speaks of God's grace. The rainbow speaks of God's promise. The rainbow speaks of God's peace. Not only a rainbow around his head, but also his face was like the sun. Again, you search the scriptures, you run into many descriptions of Jesus' face as white as light. Matthew chapter 17, you know the story. Jesus is transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. Revelation chapter one, verse 16. And in his right hand, 
He held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And note, his face was like the sun shining in its strength. His face was like the sun. And notice his feet. Again in verse 1, like pillars of fire. And again in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, and his feet were like burnished bronze or brass when it had been caused to glow in the furnace. And then notice a voice like a lion's roar. Notice that in verse 3. Jeremiah 25 verse 30 tells us, The Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we are told that the Lord will roar. Joel chapter 3, verse 16, and the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will tremble. Of course, who can forget Revelation chapter 5, do not weep, John is told, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Over and over again in the scriptures. So those who believe, those scholars who believe that this angel is Jesus Christ, they have good scriptural basis for believing that. Now, the case for why this is not Jesus Christ and just an angel and, and an angel. Here's the case. Notice again in verse one. Very interesting. Notice John says in verse one, and I saw still another mighty angel. You see that in verse one. Now, the word another in the Greek language, write this down, is alos, A-L-L-O-S. And it's very important because it means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. John seems to be saying the angel is similar to the other strong angels we saw earlier in Revelation. Another of the same kind. Notice John says he saw an angel again. If this was Jesus Christ, question, very good question, then why didn't John recognize him? Why didn't John recognize him? Interesting. John spent a lot of time with Jesus. John loved Jesus and Jesus loved John. John spent a lot of time with Jesus. John was the same one, Matthew 17, we just talked about it. He was there when Jesus was transfigured and his face shone like the sun. John was there. John in Revelation chapter 1 got the revelation and he saw Jesus as the Lamb of God who had been slain. So, if this is Christ, then why would John describe him as another strong angel? Interesting. Also, I want you to notice, I think probably the strongest point of this argument, the strongest point, notice his feet on the sea and land. Did you see that in verse 2? His feet is on the sea and his, his right foot actually is on the sea and his left foot is on the land. If this is Jesus, listen, if this is Jesus, then his feet are in the wrong place. What do you mean, Rodney? Remember, I told you chapter 10 is parenthetical. It's a divine intermission. 
John is probably so overwhelmed seeing demons and earthquakes and cataclysmic events and people are dying and people want to die and can't die. He's so overwhelmed. God says, I'll give you a break. Chapter 10. Now, chapter 10, as I told you, should be moved to the end, to the second coming of Jesus. Now, we know that when Jesus comes back in his second coming, he is not putting his foot on the sea and on the land. The Bible tells us, according to Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 through 4, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. Very beautiful place, by the way. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountains will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. If this is Christ, then he is standing in the wrong place. Very good point. Notice also the lifting up of hands. You've got to fast forward to verse 5. You want to see that. The lifting up of hands and swearing. Now, this sounds exactly like, if you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. This sounds exactly like what the angel did in Daniel. This angel is dressed in linen above the water, and he swore. That from that time or from the time that the abomination of desolation happened and sacrifices in the rebuilt temple stopped, that it would be three and a half years before the end. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.